BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. On today's show, we'll be looking at how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting people in our state's institutions, places where people are confined and where the novel coronavirus has the potential to overwhelm medically fragile inmates. In California's prisons and jails, thousands of nonviolent inmates are being released as the state grapples with the pandemic. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports that advocates are worried about the fate of those men and women once they're out. By the end of today, some 3,500 nonviolent state prisoners will have been sent home over just a two-week period. That's in addition to the thousands of low-level jail inmates who have been released or aren't being booked at all at the local level. It's all an attempt by state officials to ease crowding and lockups as the coronavirus spreads among inmates and staff. While advocates for offenders are cheering the releases, they're also worried about what will meet these men and women. Independent of the COVID pandemic, successful reentry has not been the centerpiece of our criminal justice system. Lunar Anderson is founder and president of Californians for Safety and Justice, which advocates to spend less on prisons and more on community programs. She wonders if inmates will have a safe place to live, a way to make ends meet, or access to mental health or substance abuse services. Troy Vaughn, executive director of the Los Angeles Reentry Partnership, thinks the state should be providing more resources. Because we've already had a fragmented system that wasn't coordinated in a strategic way, now that you kind of just throw a whole bunch of people into it, the cart more than just overturned, it is drowning. A spokeswoman for the state prison system says the agency is working hard to ensure a safe homecoming, including by giving inmates set for release more access to phones so they can coordinate with friends and family. For The California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. We're going to turn now from prisons and jails to a different set of institutions facing similar challenges, state mental hospitals. Reporter Lee Romney has that story. So says dear friends and family of DSH patent patients. The following are precautionary measures. Anthony Hernandez last got a letter from Patton State Hospital on March 20th, filling him in on the coronavirus response. Staff are directed to stay home if they are sick. And Hernandez happens to be a respiratory therapist, so he gets what COVID-19, the illness caused by the coronavirus, can do. He and his wife have a 24-year-old son at the San Bernardino County facility, and they're worried that it's only a matter of time before infection starts to spread. This is a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. Like almost all patients in the state's five mental hospitals, Hernandez's son was sent there through the criminal courts, in his case after attacking his parents during a psychotic episode. He's been doing great lately, on medication and with regular visits from mom and dad. 
A month ago, those stopped. There's so many families uh, that are just going bananas right now. I mean, already because we haven't been able to see our kids to keep them going while they're in there. The Department of State Hospitals has been scrambling to protect patients and staff in other ways, too, including by screening its 13,000 employees before they enter the hospitals. But some staff members say the measures don't go far enough. There's lapses for the staff members and there's lapses for patients where there's all these areas that the virus can seep in. That's Chuck Garcia, chapter president of the California Association of Psychiatric Technicians at Metropolitan State Hospital in L.A. County. He's one of half a dozen staff members interviewed for this piece who say more patients need to be isolated and tested. As for staff who've shown symptoms, many have not been able to get tested in the community. You send me home. I call my doctor. They say self-quarantine. But I don't know if I've actually had it or not. And if I am positive, I've exposed people at work. But we'll never know who. Hospitals only recently started giving workers one surgical mask daily. Wearing them has been voluntary. As for the Hernandez family, they're making do with phone calls, just like the rest of us. Hi, son. Your dad. We're not naming his son to protect his medical privacy. He tells his dad that each unit gets yard time alone now with plenty of space. But inside, social distancing isn't happening for patients or most staff. Treatment groups and most patient jobs have been suspended. Still, he's doing okay. I like to play guitar on the unit. I like to exercise. I like to read books. Others, though, are faring worse, like this friend. He's staring at the ceiling on his bed and and talking to himself. The Department of State Hospital said officials are following state and federal public health guidance and working hard to adapt to, quote, rapidly changing circumstances. They declined to share how many of the system's 6,000 patients have been tested for the virus. But internal records show that count at 30 as of last Wednesday, only one of them at Patton. None have tested positive, though two employees, both at Patton, have. So have three outside contractors working at Metropolitan. For the California Report, I'm Lee Romney. Commercial fishermen and women on the Central Coast are among the many who could use some clarity right now. Their salmon season is launching in just a few weeks, in early May. Even though California's fishing industry is designated as essential, its biggest customers are not. Restaurants are all but shut down because of the pandemic. Some of the people who make their livings in commercial fishing are looking for a silver lining right about now. From our partner station KAZU in Monterey, Erica Mahoney reports they might have found one. David Toriumi has been a commercial fisherman for almost 16 years and works out of the Monterey Bay. It's a livelihood already full of challenges. And then the coronavirus hit. People stopped buying crab. People stopped buying blackhawk. People stopped coming out to dock sales. The Pacific Coast Federation of Fishermen's Associations says most U.S. caught seafood that isn't exported is sold to restaurants. But those restaurants are now closed or only offering carryout. Toriumi, a father of two, says bills are piling up. And no one is sure things are going to get any better during the salmon season. Are they going to be going out to restaurants? Are they going to be going to supermarkets and buying salmon? The Monterey Bay Fisheries Trust collaborates with local stakeholders like Toriumi to help revitalize the region's historic local seafood economy. Sherry Flumerfeld is executive director. She says between 60 and 90 percent of the seafood we eat in the U.S. is imported. This whole crisis with COVID-19 has really brought home this reality of this dependency on these 
international supply chains and these commodities and when it breaks down, you know, where does that leave us? Flumerfelt says now there's an opportunity for communities to prioritize buying local. We are in this fortunate place where we have this amazing, fresh, sustainable local seafood right here in our backyard. The Fisheries Trust is also trying to help fishermen and women navigate government aid. The $2.2 trillion stimulus bill, or CARES Act, allocates $300 million to the seafood industry. One sector of the industry that has taken off recently is community-supported fisheries. Members pay for a share of seafood, which is delivered directly to their home or a pickup spot. It's a business model that's working during the coronavirus. In downtown Santa Cruz, Ocean to Table employees assemble boxes with local California halibut. We also had fly line chili pepper rockfish. Co-owner Charlie Lambert says while their restaurant deliveries are down about 90%, home deliveries have doubled. To help other businesses get their products distributed, Ocean to Table has partnered with local farms and shops. Spatially, we have to be apart from each other but we also have to come together as a community. And so by partnering with these local businesses, that community energy and feeling is there. Energy, the local fishing industry hopes will continue far beyond the coronavirus. For the California Report, I'm Erica Mahoney from Monterey Bay. Let's head south now to San Diego County. The town of Borrego Springs, population 3,000, is smack in the middle of Anza Borrego State Park. In rural towns like it, panic buying during quarantine has been especially tough on residents. There's often just one or maybe two grocery stores in some of these communities. So a restaurant owner there took matters into his own hands. The California Report's Nina Sparling has the story of Carly's, the restaurant and bar that's helped keeping Borrego Springs fed in a way its owner probably never expected. The line cooks at Carly's are used to Fridays being busy. But the past few weeks, they've spent more time packing boxes than flipping burgers. The sourdough is $5.85, but take off the marble rye. We're going to be out of marble rye for the rest of the day. The restaurant and bar is the heart of this desert town an hour and a half east of San Diego. And owner Andy Masuga made the switch to takeout and delivery right after the mid-March statewide shelter-in-place order. Obviously, uh, just like so many other restaurants, we were thrown in a tailspin. But he quickly realized burgers and pizza to go wouldn't be enough for his community. There's only two small stores in town, and they just couldn't keep up. Those two stores serve the tourists who come to town to play golf or visit the surrounding Anza Borrego State Park. Locals usually make the three-and-a-half-hour round trip to San Diego or Palm Springs to stock up on groceries every few weeks. But shelter-in-place means people need to get groceries closer to home. All these grocery stores are having a hard time, but the restaurant distributors have all this food that <laughs> they no longer can get rid of fast enough. So Masuga took inventory of what he had around that he didn't need for the kitchen and posted on Facebook. The order started coming in by phone and email right away. Hi, Victoria. This is Andy Masuga from Carly's. We've got your order in. Uh, we do have the sourdough. We are short of The big deliveries come on Tuesdays and Fridays. The line cooks pack between 60 and 70 boxes of fresh produce, protein, and staples like pasta and rice. It takes a lot of coordination, but Masuga wants to help his neighbors, even if it means a new kind of work for him and his staff. We've been doing more groceries than we have been doing takeout and delivery. That's helping Carly stay afloat during what would normally be some of the busiest months for desert tourism. And Masuga tops off the orders with a four-pack of toilet paper, free of charge. For the California Report, I'm Nina Sparling. Finally this weekend, our friends at KCRW in Los Angeles lost a friend and colleague, producer Matt Holtzman, to cancer. 
My California Report co-host and KCRW alum Saul Gonzalez has this remembrance. Lily, Matt was respected by his KCRW colleagues for his intelligence, talent, and perfectionism, but he was loved for his decency, warmth, and sense of humor. Really, he had to be one of the funniest and friendliest people in public radio. During his years at KCRW, Matt was the founding producer of such shows as The Business and Press Play. He also shared his love of cinema through his series Matt's Movies and his podcast The Document. Matt's radio pieces touch both the head and the heart, and at times they could be deeply personal. For example, a 2006 story he did for NPR about his own kidney transplant. My kidney came from a 14-year-old boy who was killed in a skateboarding accident. On the worst day that his parents will ever know, they opened their hearts and saved my life. For months after my transplant, I tried to write a letter to say thank you, but words seemed painfully inadequate. So now I'm hoping they hear this and know that I am alive and well, thanks to them. That's KCRW producer and host Matt Holtzman, who died this weekend from cancer. He will be deeply missed by his friends, family, colleagues, and listeners. Our sincerest condolences go to Matt's family and, of course, his KCRW family. And that is the California Report for this Monday, April 13th. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Ideas to use up house paint and leftover paint taking up space can be found at paintcare.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and Hint Water. Hint is water infused with fruit essences, including watermelon and blackberry. No sugar, no sweeteners, no calories. Available in grocery stores. Hint, mouth-watering water. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you get your podcasts.